Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi, everybody. I'm Maeve. Um, so we're just going to read from Amos 2, 6 to 8. So it's only a little bit. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as vines. So I'm just going to pray for Noel before he speaks. Lord, thank you that for another Sunday where we can join together in person and online. Um, I just pray that for the next few minutes, we won't be thinking about what's happening afterwards or what happened during the week, that we can just rest and hear you and receive you. Bless Noel as he speaks today. Um, Hopefully that you will speak through him and that his words will fall on those who need to hear it. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, just before Noel comes up, I want to introduce Noel. Uh, so Leanne and I, uh, some of you will know, we're not from uh, Dublin originally, and we moved to, to Ireland in 2012. And when we were considering that God might be leading us to Dublin to start a church, before we even made our final decision, we came over to Ireland in January 2012 uh, to sort of do a recce, a bit of a learning experience, and to meet with other church pastors. We realized we weren't going to be God's answer to Dublin, but we might play a part in what God is doing in the church, and there were great churches here already. And Noel was one of the people we met straight away. He was very kind. He didn't know us. Someone just connected us, and uh, we warmed straight away to him and uh, his personality and what God was doing and had done in him and his wife and Liberty Church, which uh, Noel leads. And, uh, and then just recently, through a number of things, Noel and I have had a chance to reconnect and go for walks and things, and uh, we had a lovely time together. So Noel has been a great servant of the church here in Dublin and has a real heart in areas of mercy and justice and how to speak up for and care for the poor and the oppressed. So that's why it's great to have Noel coming to help us as we think through to Amos. So thank you, Noel, for coming, and over to you, brother. Thank you, Steve. Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, just consider it a real privilege, and to be amongst so many young people, um, it's also great. Uh, I was praying this afternoon, I was speaking in a service earlier this morning in, in Liberty Bray, and I was coming home, and I was like, you know, Lord, put something on my heart, you know, like just, and I just felt this word significant. And I just believe around my heart that God wants to say that you are, and will, there will be an increase in your significance within the city of Dublin. And then um, my encouragement is to, to, to go for everything that the Lord has for you as a church and you as individuals, because it's great. It's absolutely great. And then um, hello to everyone online and um, welcome. You know, let me just give a few minutes. Like I'm just, you know, when you have, when you've so when you've a time, you want to say so much, and hopefully, then um, I'm I'm just from up the road. Actually, I'm from Dolphins Barn, which is at the top of South Circular there, and uh, in the flats in a place called Dolphins Barn. I was born and raised there, and um, in a small family of 14, 10 boys and four girls, 
and um, in a three-bedroom flat, can you believe it? And um, I was the second youngest on the food chain, and um, a, a great place to grow up, um, but also a place that was very needy in regards to you know, education, employment, etc. And then all this, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, poverty brings nothing but misery. That's the one thing I know. There's, you know, some of the worst atrocities in the world is done amongst the poor in the world. And so growing up in that environment, we had big families, but um, we also had community that where people looked out for one another. And um, our, like, our, my mom had a best friend called Miss Rogers, and she had 13 children. And somewhere on a Wednesday in the middle of the week, my mom would march a gang of us around and we'd have stew together. And then on another day, we'd be, be returned. And our other friend, Miss O'Brien, she had 12 kids or 13 kids. And my mom and Miss O'Brien um, bought a washing machine between them. So Miss O'Brien had a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then her sons would bring it around to my mom's. And then um, on, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then my mom would use it, and then you wouldn't wash on a Sunday, and then you'd go back, you know. And, uh, and it was just that type of community. And then about 1979, um, we were a, a family, so the story is, it's well documented um, in books and on TV things. A, a family from our community went to um, England to rob a bank. Like if you're going to rob a bank, might as well rob it on the English, you know, as an Irish person. That's, and um, so the story is they went over there and instead of getting paid with money, they got paid with heroin. And they brought it back and their community was introduced to heroin. There was other things there. There was like, there was drinking, you know, but there was never drugs and, and, and it's particularly hard drugs. And within the matter, which as a little boy looking at this, um, like it seemed within weeks, that there was like people of your age, younger, 14, 15, just swept into this river of evil that, that produced hundreds and hundreds of addicts and we're still paying the consequences for that as a city, you know, with this, with this family um, introducing heroin, not only to our community, we got hit first, but the whole city as a result and it carried on and, and, um, and that brought a lot of devastation and that brought a lot of uh, crime young girls that were beautiful looking girls now ravaged with addiction and all that that brings with them and i had three brothers that went on heroin and uh, i lost the three of them three of them are dead there's a high price and um, that them three young men matthew derek and mark pay, paid for with their lives and hundreds in that little community we buried the last we had a service called friend remembering friends and we we read out 440 names of young men and women that never got a chance to see another country never got a chance to you know, to go to Kerry, you know, just things that we take for granted. And, um, and so if anybody needed a church to be full of justice and mercy, my community did. And unfortunately, we never seen a church, you know, and, uh, and so maybe that's some of the things that have kicked into my life that I, I, I don't want people to be voiceless. I don't want the church to be sitting on the hands that if anything that we can do to help anyone, it doesn't matter, brokenness is everywhere. It's not just in communities like ours, it's in behind Georgian doors up in Waterloo Road. It, it, this sin knows no bounds of bro breaking people and breaking um, their lives down. And I'm, I'm married to Sharon, met Sharon when I was 14, so we're 40 years together. Could you imagine we're beginning to look like each other now? She has a little goatee and all, like it's just really, really, um, and uh, our four daughters, uh, my youngest is 25, would you believe it? And, um, and I have five grandchildren. Isn't that amazing? And, um, and, and believe it or not, like I should have been one of those statistics 
back that I just shared there that I ended up taking drugs because it was, it was like something that everyone was doing, but it was also an escape of death and destruction that you've seen all around you. So for about four years, I just dead high. I just could not live in the world I was living in without being looking at it through some type of different lenses. And um, so I'm, I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed um, that I'm not one of those. This, this, and the only reason I'm not one of them is that in 89, my friend Mick Finley came and shared the gospel with me because he heard it from someone else. And he had a radical encounter of, um, of um, Jesus and his heroin addiction was, was gone. His, his view of life was different. He walked through those flats like there was a light in his eye and there was a, a glow around him. You know, if you're in deep, dark despair, uh, you know, this fellow was like a shining light in the midst of it all. And that was so rare, he might as well have been E.T. walking through the place because we didn't see much of that. And it was him that had encountered the living God, that he had encountered not, he didn't join a religion, he didn't get told just some intellectual message. It impacted him like to the very point that his life was going one way now he was going another way and he came and told me and then um, and then after about three months I went to hear a man called Reinhard Bonnke who was a German evangelist in the National Stadium just up the road and Reinhard shared about about the glorious love of God that was for the whosoever whether you were in the uppermost or the guttermost and in between he loves you and he not only loves you but demonstrated that love by sending his son jesus to die on the cross to take all of your sin and, and and he kept using this type of language when he was speaking he kept using that sin was like a disease and um, and he started telling you about the he started emphasizing some of the um, symptoms of this disease like hopelessness or despair, or anxiety, um, shame, guilt, and he was going into them, he goes, and I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, I have that, definitely have that guilt thing, you know, and then he went to shame, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, and in the end, my conclusion was, that I was riddled with this thing called sin, I'm like, I have it in every department of my life, and he kept saying in between them all, like, every time he'd say something, he'd go, but in his German action, but there is a remedy. And again, he got to the end, I wanted to jump up, 2,000 people there, but I wanted to jump up. Well, just tell me the remedy, because I know I have this disease called sin. And he says, I'm going to tell you the remedy. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Calvary. And if you receive all that he's done for you, you'll receive all that he has for you. And that night, 22nd of March, 1989, on Tuesday, about 9.40, myself and Sharon, um, we put our hands on him and says, we want this Jesus. We never went to church before that. We never read a Bible before that. But we didn't need to in that sense that we'd encountered him. And on the way out the door of the National Stadium, I said to my Sharon, who wasn't my wife at the time, but who's since become my wife, I said, Sharon, we need to tell everybody. We need to tell them where the treasure is. We need to tell the hungry where the bread is. We need to tell the lost how to be found. I wasn't using all that language now. I'm using that now because I'm a preacher. You get me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you go, man, he learned a lot in the best space of 20 minutes. But um, I was like, all I said, we need to tell everybody. And uh, she said, tell them what? And I says, I don't know. But all I know is that my sins are forgiven. And I know everyone else sins, so I want to tell the rest. And that's been our biggest driver. And then when we look at this passage, like you, you look in, in, in reference that God is using some of the most vulnerable people on the planet. It's like those who, who get sold for silver. Is that not still happening in our society? 
the poor for a pair of sandals. Is that not still happening in sweatshops all across the world? They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the, which is on the head of the poor. They prefer the way of the humble to use women, take clothes. And the worst part of this, I think, for God was that they were celebrating it in, the, at their, in their temples of their gods. And, you know, you, you've been reading this and you read more. Um, it sickened God sick in his heart you know i love amos it's it's full of prose and, and poetry and prose like being the very thoughts of god and poetry being the heart of god and you see amos laying it out that this is god's heart for the poor this is god's heart that people would be shown justice you know jesus showed us in the gospel everywhere he went he was he was reaching out to the poor the poor was reaching out to him and in no wise did he turn anyone away the ones that he was really railed against was the religious that had no time for them that they they they, they ostracized him that they weren't holy enough they, do you remember the part where this man stands up to pray and and uh, there was a, a pharisee and and a, and a poor man and, and the Pharisee is like, you know, full of pride and arrogance. And then um, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. And then, then this guy cries, oh God, just have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is like, who do you think God is listening to? Do you know, and, and you see that in Amos, you see in the prose, in the writing, that God is telling you his thoughts towards the poor. He's telling you what makes him, what makes him sick when, when especially because Israel was full of religion at this stage of all types, but it was full, it was high on religion and low on mercy. And, uh, and that's usually the case, but Jesus shows us the heart of God in person, reaching out to the whosoever. You know, I think when Jesus said, you know, you know the poor will always be amongst you, I was thinking, he was, I think he's saying, well, we've no excuse. <laughs> they're always there. In some shape or form, they're always there. And Israel was coming under huge, actually, like you read this again and again, and they were coming under judgment. That like, that, that was, it was big time judgment and them and i my few minutes with you today is like that you would open or we would open our hearts to god because he wants to use us to be his hands and feet he wants us to give a voice to the voiceless and who knows what that is like if we if we ever read about mother Teresa, she was she was she was teaching you know people kids that were like high high influencers and, and affluent and it was only when she went out into the streets of Calcutta that she seen the poor was following the poor to try to get a crumb of bread off them. And, and that's how her heart was towards the poor. Where she, she started on one path, but her heart was open to God to say, well, God, wherever you want to use me, who knows what's in your heart? Who knows what God has put into your DNA? Who, the passion he's put into you for somebody somewhere in this world that, that like, it's just waiting to be called out. It's just waiting to be turned upside down or God to just speak to it. And then God, not only does he give us a heart for something, but he gives us answers for them and their problems and their situations and, uh, and and it might be somewhere on the street it might be somewhere in high society it might be someone coming up with a creative something that this world needs who knows the endlessness of god's creativity especially when it comes to those who haven't got it you know there's a song that could um, easily easily be written by amos but it was written by a guy called Gregory Porter, if anyone's ever heard of him. He, he's, uh, yeah, he's, I've seen him in Trinity College, would you believe it? But, uh, but he wrote this song. It's called Take Me to the 
alley. And it says, well, they build their houses in preparation for the king. And, the, and they lined the sidewalks with every sort of shiny thing. They will be surprised, talking about the Lord, when they hear him say, take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones. Take me to the lonely ones that somehow have lost their way. Jesus saying, let them hear me say, I'm your friend. Come to my table. Find rest in my garden. It's there you will find a pardon. Take me to the alley. Is this not the heart of what we've read in Amos? Is this not the heart of God that is like being expressed, that's, that's even turned him to, to his own people to say, you're bringing judgment on yourself because of these things. And then towards the church, Jesus, like, take me to these people. How? How? My encouragement is we just open our hearts. It's amazing what, you can, what can happen when you open your heart um, to, to the Lord in this manner. You know, there's people that I've walked past and even haven't even given a second look. And then the Lord would stop me in my tracks and say, no, I wouldn't have done that. Because I've asked them to not let me walk by people. I've asked them to allow me to engage people. It's not condemning. It's not full of guilt. It's like God opening up his heart and his mind to us um, in this, you know. And, you know, just recently, um, like two weeks ago recently, um, I get this, you wouldn't believe what happened to me, actually. I'm walking home from town, from the building. In, we're just up in RD Street, which is a little bit back from here. And I'm walking home. And uh, I walked down to the building, which was an hour and a half. I'm walking home an hour and a half, trying to get 20,000 steps in, going back to play football. And my 54-year-old legs are tired. And I want to get a bit of strength back into them. And um, I'm walking home. And I say hello to everybody along the street, especially since lockdown. You know what I mean? It's like uh, I say hello to more people than I've ever said hello to because I miss people. And, and, I'm, and I'm coming up this um, Kamenum, it's called Kamenum. Uh, hill police stations to the left it's like a little country lane and I'm walking this guy I'm, I'm listening to something on the phone that my son-in-law Rob sent me and uh, this guy pulls down his mask and I thought he was going to say hello but he spits me he spits at me in the face and uh, I'm, like, I'm like you know I'm stunned and I'm shocked and I'm like and, and I'm from Dalvin's barn and I'm, and, and, and I'm a man and when I came out me my, my shock I was like what that's just happened <laughs> I was going to run after him, but I had 20,000 steps in my feet, and I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, and, and like, being honest, like my flesh, everything that was in me, I kept calling them back to come back and fight me or something. And um, my pastor's head was saying, just bring him into the police station all. But my flat's head was saying, punch him, give him a Conor McGregor elbow into the ear, and he won't ever remember anything. And, um, and there was this battle going on, but I'd walk across the road, keep on looking back just in case he wanted to come back. And... Um, I get a text, Keith was killed in a car crash. I ring a sister called Amy of Keith. Keith was a young man from our church. He was a tremendous worship leader, 35 years of age. Like, honestly, when he strummed his guitar, God came into the room. It was just one of those people that you meet, you know, in, in, in ministry. And he was in our church a good while going out, one of the girls in the church. And, Anyway, Keith fell away from the Lord, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years, but now I'm getting a phone call, he's, 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 he's dead. And not only that, um, he, he became an atheist. So he said, and, and there was things on Instagram, F Jesus, F the Holy Spirit. I mean, deep, dark things. And uh, 
I didn't know all this till I got that phone call because his mum asked me to do the funeral. So like now I'm like, what do I do? Like I have this person, I, I rang my son-in-law, Rob, we talked and Rob was like, no, well, you can't stand up and say all these things when everyone knows all these things, what you're going to do. And, and so anyway, I said, Rob, I'm just going to pray. So I was walking home that day as well. And I was like, Lord, where do I go with this? And uh, I just, the wisdom I had, there's a mother that needs comforting. There's people going to be at the funeral that has never heard about Jesus or the gospel. And all I'm left with is God's mercy. So I goes down the next day, myself and Sharon, my wife goes down and meets the family and we're talking away about, you know, our, our history with Keith and his parents says he was most happiest when he was walking with the Lord and when he was in church and serving. And, and um, we get to the point about the, these, you know, the, the, the quotes on Facebook, Instagram. And, and um, so anyways, I was aware of them and she says, no, I want to tell you something that happened. So I rang as a mother at the police to find out, was there anybody with my son when he died? And she hears that there was a man that arrived 30 seconds, between 30 and 60 seconds, just after the crash. He was behind, he was behind the car. And the car was tumbled, everything you could imagine. And so this young man gets up, goes over, finds his license, and here's, you know, finds out his name is Keith. And he tells this mother that he goes over and he takes him by the hand. And he starts praying for him. Keith starts calling his name and starts praying for him. I don't know about you guys, but the mercy of God is incredible. I've had Christians saying, what does God think about him? I know that God reached out in mercy to him. And when I'd done the funeral, I addressed these words and because it's the only way to go about it. I told him about King David in the Bible who killed a man to get his wife. He didn't use the words F-U, but his actions were. And David cries out in Psalm 51, Oh God, have mercy on me. Blot out my sins, O oh God. I'm sinful from birth. Please forgive me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And God showed him mercy. And the man that was at the, the man that turned up at the car wreck, turned Keith to heaven in his last breaths was there. I talked to him four or five times before the funeral. The young man, 35, probably wrecked from what he's seen. Where he had enough to go over and turn Keith's attention to heaven. His name was Christopher. Christopher walked into Keith's moments. This young man... That's my alarm. <coughs> Man, that's one boy quick. Um, this young man didn't know he was going to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus that day. He was on his way to work. I said to him, I don't know whether he's a believer. I don't know anything about him. I've not gone there with him yet. At the funeral, I was able to thank him for being the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus for our loved one, for his family's loved one. Whether he was on to God, I don't know. But all I know, God used him to turn his son that was so far away back towards heaven. Imagine what God could do with us, that know him. That say, God, like that's extreme. I, I grant you that's ex extreme. But there's probably someone in work who just needs a kind word. 
There'll be someone in, 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 in college that needs someone to say, I'm going to pray for you. Open up our hearts to God. Open up our lives to people. And I guarantee you, God will use you. That I wake up in the morning and all I say is, God, I'm yours. I have no I've things that I have to do every day, as you can imagine, like you have. But then there's the in-betweens of God. And um, was it May of, or who prayed for our city earlier on? Thank you. Um, and you mentioned the homeless people that this year's statistics, and that can be overwhelming. Um, every Thursday night, myself and Sharon go out in a van and feed the homeless. And um, we were out there this last two Thursdays, and we stopped at this place called Merchant's Key. And Merchant's Key is a rough spot. It's like, in fact, I was told nobody stops there. And the reason why no one stops there is because they're all on crack. Young girls, young men. And we were on the, on the Liberty Soup run. We were driving by there. And whoever was in the team would say, oh, we're not allowed to stop there and all. And, and I remember driving home one night. And maybe I felt a bit like a Amos in me. That like... There's nobody beyond the reach of Jesus. Nobody. And here was like, here to me, this was like the devil saying that you can touch their lives over there and their lives over there, but they're no hopers. And I said to the team, I said, I'm, 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 I'm stopping. There's no place in my city that I cannot go. And uh, this, is, this is our city. And uh, so we stopped. And, you know, it was like, I kid you not, it was like, um, do you ever see that movie, I Am Legend? Anyone ever see that? You know the grabbers? You know the people that came out like, 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 <laughs> you know them? Like they were aggressive, you know, like, and then, um, you know, like I, other zombie movies, I don't like those movies, but I did see I Am Legend, but you know them other zombie movies where they're all docile walking around like this? I'm like, how could they ever catch it and kill you? Like they're too stupid looking, but these grabbers are frightening. These grabbers like have great pegs climbing over walls and whatever. That's what they were like. I understood why people couldn't stop there and wouldn't stop there. And we feed and they're like, I want that and give me that. The next week we went down and the crack dealers must have just gotten there before us. Because now the people of our city, people's sons and daughters, are smoking crack, injecting into that groin on the, on the keys, on the steps, not hiding because their dignity is so broken now that they don't hide. They don't feel, they're going beyond feeling ashamed. They're going beyond feeling that people would be looking at me. And that's a breaking down of humanity when that happens. We goes down. There's this girl, I, I, I know her name now, but I didn't know her. And I looked under her. She was like, can I have that and have that? She was about 20 and her hands were blackened from smoke and crack. I looked at her face, it was dirty. I goes home and I couldn't get it out of my mind. This little girl's hands, I didn't even get her name that night because I was so busy. And my daughter says to me a couple of days later, my youngest daughter, she says, Dad, would you ever retire? And I told her what I just told you. I says, Erica, as long as there's a little girl in our city that's hands are dirty from crack and her body broken from putting herself in prostitution, I says, we can't retire. We can't hide behind it. And the beauty of it all is God is saying, if you go there, I'll be with you. I'll open doors. I, I kid you not, I'm not some brave person. Look at the size of me. I'm, I'm like, I am not this great evangelist or nothing like that. I'm, I'm the opposite. 
But when you say, God, give us your compassion, he gives you. God, give us your love, he gives it. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet to this city. He gives it to us. Help us to be the voice that turns someone to heaven. It might be extreme as a car crash, but Lord, there's somebody somewhere. And I know this, that the stories of God will be, the testimonies of Jesus would be rampant in his church. And I know that this is a church that wants this. That's what I, That's the beauty of it. I'm not talking to someone that I have to convince. Look at what you are reading. People stay away from this stuff. People stay away from these topics, these subjects. Pastors don't want to do this because they know there's a challenge in them, not themselves, of them. But here you are, sitting under it, reading, learning, studying what God's heart is for people, sharing one-on-ones. Like it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter like what, what I learned about being on the streets. I like looking at the city from different angles. And now on the Liberty Super Run, you're looking at an angle from begging. But they still want the same as the people in the offices, money power escapism it's just extremes that's all it is and if you work in the Irish financial center can you please get me a, a lunch in your in your office so i can see my city from another angle but it's all after the same things the extremes and god has given the church his answer and uh, and i bless you as you endeavor to walk with jesus and see what he does with you as a church i believe the word the lord put in my heart for you was that you're significant in his plans and his purposes and I cannot wait to see what God does with this church. God bless.